Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce, the podcast that's here to explore the role of robotic process automation and other digital technologies. Whether you're just getting started or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, if you're curious about where human and digital workers are coming together to transform the future of work, then this podcast is for you. All right, let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Generation Digital Workforce. We're pleased to have you back and join us this week. Uh, This is Zaina, and joining me today is Bindi Basan. She is our Head of Customer Office for Asia Pacific. Welcome, Bindi. Thank you very much, Zaina. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Great. Yes, we're moving in a little bit of a different direction today on our podcast. We're going to be talking about women in RPA and the valuable asset that they bring to the table. We're excited that you are here to share your perspective on that. Yes, absolutely. And I'm also very excited to share my journey and hopefully um, inspire some other people as they listen. Great. Well, let's jump in and, you know, start by talking about you and your role. Tell us a little bit, you know, to start about how you got into tech. That's a really interesting um, topic. (laughs) I think when I was studying, my creative energy was always um, bursting. So I actually was really passionate about doing photography. But like um, probably many people, when they're embarking on their career choices, would be advised or told to choose something that's probably a little bit more structured and would um, outline a career path for you, whereas photography was probably seen at the time as more of a hobby as opposed to a career. So from that perspective, I went on to study um, information systems at university and um, took on the, the more technical route. And that's how I got into actually I suppose embarking on my career in this space and that led on to um, me starting up my career with um, a um, software vendor as a developer and what was really interesting for me was as I was working through uh, my role on a day-to-day basis picking up the new skills what was becoming quite evident was that my creative skills were the ones that were actually allowing me to accelerate in my role with that organization. Because even though um, I had the technical competence and was able to perform in that role, what was missing, and I think this is really is really interesting because now in my role I see that a lot, what's really interesting was that um, at that time the diversity in terms of skill set in the teams was probably very limited And what I probably brought to the table through my creative thinking was a skill set that wasn't evident in in probably many of my peers at that time. So from that perspective, my career then evolved into moving more into what you can call project management type activity because um, luckily at the time, uh, my leaders and managers, what they were able to see was that I was, I was very good at bringing people together and being able to help drive implementations and projects and get people connected. But as well as having the technical acumen and being able to talk the language of the people that I was actually working with. So that's how I really sort of took off on the, the technical path. But really, I think um, 
for everybody. It's your, it's your strength. It doesn't take long for your strengths to actually shine and really sort of come to the forefront and the things that you're really passionate about. And that's what probably took my career from a very technical kickstart in the first probably two to three years to then becoming a lot more around things like project management and bringing people together to be able to execute for uh, businesses. So in those early days when, you know, you moved on from photography to a more technical role and then into the workplace where you allowed those people skills to come back and flourish, how did you balance those people skills with the technical skills and ensuring that your male colleagues saw you as competent as them, both in the technical and then also in that more creative side and allowing you to take a leadership role on that, you know, in that early part of your career? I think um, one of the key things for me was always, I'm always passionate also about problem solving. And the way that I was able to ensure that I still retained my, my status or standard with regards to the technical side of things was that I still used to dive in. So even if I was leading a project or if I was um, collaborating with people offshore and onshore, because of my technical background, I was able to deep dive into a lot of the cycle of implementation. So in design, in development and in, and in testing. And I think um, because of the fact that I was able to identify problems or suggestions to the design or even challenge what was actually being put on the table, through that I was able to build a um, credibility that, yes, you know, she might be leading a project or she may be overseeing a project and bringing the people side of things, but she understands the technical aspects as well, so is able to you know, delve deeper and, and question. And I was never shy about questioning. And I think one of the reasons why I probably ended up in the leadership position at that time with that organization after three or four years of being with them was because I, um, I was able to question. At the time, they sent a lot of their software delivery offshore. And the projects that I were coming back that I were looking after were of high quality. And that's purely because I was able to deep dive and say, no, that's not how the system works and that's not what the customer's expecting and the end user, that's not what they want and I disagree with this implementation. So I was able to challenge and be able to support my, uh, my um, opinions with background evidence on why I believe a certain approach should be taken. Yeah, and I think two important things there that you said that I want to reiterate for our listeners, especially those starting out in their career, is don't be shy and question what's going on around you, um, because that, in fact, shows your leadership, so shows your thoughtful approach um, to the situation at hand and whatever circumstances you may be dealing with uh, from a business perspective. So I want to talk about, you know, how you've gotten to where you are in your career and when where you are now as Chief Customer Officer for our APAC re region. And that APAC region is, you know, often a very challenging region. It's very culturally diverse and complex. And if I might say so myself, predominantly male. And you've risen to the top. You want to talk to us a little bit about how you've done that? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think one of the things that probably works in my favour or has definitely helped me is that um, I've um, grown up rooted in two different cultures. So, you know, born and bred in England, but my heritage is Indian. So I've always, by default, without even realising, probably as a child, always had to look at every situation in my life without realising from two different lenses or two different perspectives because my upbringing has been rooted in more than one culture. So I always believe that that um, foundation that I've grown up with was always um, a high contributor for me to be able to operate in a region that is so diverse and culturally complex and has allowed me to be able to adapt to that sort of environment very, very quickly. So I, um, when I was working at this software organization that we were just referring to, one of the assignments that I got from them was to set up their offshore team in India. So um, I, um, I took on the opportunity and packed my bags and decided to head off to India and uh, take on the challenge and absolutely I will set up your team to execute successfully from India. And um, for me, it was quite, it was really interesting because it was the first time I sort of encountered the numerous differences, both professionally and personally, in a completely different culture. So despite having the Indian heritage, what was really evident when I did arrive in India was that um, the culture of every country moves on. So even though I was born with the heritage, it was a heritage that I, I was given to me by my grandparents who had left India you know, before the independence and the country had moved on. There's lots of differences that I had to embark on and really learn about how does these organisations in a completely different country operate and also in an environment where it's, it is very male dominated, especially in technology and how do I, or, you know, how do I stand my ground. So that, that was my first opportunity to sort of really step out into the, um, the world of Asia, I guess. And that went on to then moving on up, living in Singapore, um, where I worked for one of the biggest investment banks in the world. Um, and I had further opportunities to sort of get a exposure to how the culture really works and the diversity and the differences in, um, in the way people and um, organizations behave. It was very, very, very different to what I grew up with in my early days of um, professional career. So I think the reason why um, today, if I look at what I've actually achieved in the, in the region, for me, what's been really important is my ability to adapt and my ability to actually understand the cultural intelligence and cultural diversity. I'm so passionate about working with different people on a day-to-day -day basis. Every day, I smile when I pick up the phone and I'm talking to a colleague in Hong Kong or a team member in Australia and they just bring completely different perspectives to the table that really excites me. And being able to embrace all that instead of fight it, I think has really allowed me to help organizations that I have worked with in that region and now with Blue Prism to really help accelerate both the, the growth for the business, our customers, but more importantly for me, to make sure that I've built a team that's actually high performing and um, is, um, is successful and operating in an environment that really allows them to thrive. I've loved listening to your story. Some key points, you know, for me were, you know, step out and take every opportunity. It was refreshing to hear how you uh, stepped into that 
opportunity you you know you were open you learned you have the ability to to adapt but one of the things that i really loved about what you shared is how passionate you are and how you leveraged that passion to keep you going and to advance your career to where it is today so congratulations to that I'd like to talk a little bit about the survey that uh, we did at the end of the year um, out to our membership, the Women in RPA membership, of which we have about 1,500 members today. And we polled them for the kind of the focus areas that they would like us to bring content to them this year as a way to progress their own careers. One of the areas that they asked us about and asked us to bring some perspective on was, was work-life balance. And as we just uh, talked about, you know, you live in this complex, very large territory that we call Asia Pacific. So I'm curious how you uh, approach work-life balance, and, and I'm I'm curious to know if you still dabble in photography. Yeah, um, it's um, it's much more difficult uh, when you are operating across um, so many countries and so many time zones. So I'm sure I could be much better in some areas, but I think for me, and touching upon what you just said, I tend to sort of gravitate towards the things that I'm really passionate about and which are really important to me. So photography, I do actually still continue my photography. I love it. I love it. I just think that there's there's so much that you can bring to the table with creativity. And, and for me, I think what I really like is that you're telling a story through your lens right so when you your audience or your viewer sees what you've captured in the frame what you're telling them is a story and you're taking them on a journey which i love that creative aspect so what i try to do is um try and implement some sort of routine it's it's very difficult when you're on a plane and you arrive at different different times but um i try to make sure that for example, first thing in the morning, one of the things that I absolutely love doing is um, listening to um, probably about 15, 20 minutes on my Audible book. I think it just gets my brain active and really sort of thinking in a creative manner. I also use the Headspace app. Um, I think um, doing some meditation is always is very beneficial and it helps me sort of get calm and set for the day. Where possible, if I'm especially on the move, for me, I try to make sure that I do get some form of exercising. Ideally, I would love to be in the in the gym. Um, in the UK, I have a personal trainer who um, really challenges me. When I'm traveling and when I'm away, I tend to, you know, try to work on doing my own exercises and make sure that I stay active. But the other thing I like to do also is I'm very much a, um, I love to just um, explore different topics and different areas and different aspects. So I'm really sort of intrigued about things that are around me when I'm actually in all these um, different cultures. And what can I learn from them and what can I enjoy about it? It's, um, this, it's incredible. I mean, whether it's food or whether it's um, style or fashion or a particular speciality in the region. So that's what I try to do to get some sort of um, balance and sort of um, me time away from what can sometimes be quite intense days. That is really good advice. Um, the exercise bit um, is sometimes hard to get in, especially when you're traveling, I agree. You have to kind of find something that is easy uh, and that you love to do. Oftentimes I'll put my hotel a little further away and 
put the tennis shoes on and know I'll stick them in the bag when I get to the office and, and just get my, my walk in as the means of exercise. So there's some easy ways that when you're on the road, you can try and get that in, you know, just make it part of the day, but um, it is a challenge. I love that you are so curious and that you use that as a way to bring balance to your life. Your curiosity, I think, almost pushes you to get out of work and learn new things. I'm wondering what book are you listening to right now? There's a couple actually, um, but um, I um, one is is a book called How to Outperform, and um, it's actually a series of um, I guess you could probably call them podcasts, but combined into an audible book. And I find it really fascinating, especially the first episode, because it talks about. Um, how to outperform, especially when you're also when you're already performing very well, and it's actually the the interviews are done with um, the British rowing team, and I find it it's just so fascinating when um, when you and the passion that comes across with a team like that, and I was, I'm always trying to relate it to my team and how we work in the corporate world, and when you look at like a sports team, what they have is really um, strong passion for what they do they're all aiming for the same goal what's really important and for me came across really strongly when i was listening to that is the dependability and the um, psychological safety that they have everybody in that boat that's rowing is rowing for the same purpose and the trust that they've got in each other is so powerful and i think what really came across in that podcast was what was really strong was that um, they're not doing it for themselves, right? They are actually competing and rowing for the nation. So it's, it becomes something just over and beyond just themselves. And I think that's what I try to build in my team culture as well. It's, you know, we come together to achieve something much more bigger than us, whether that's for the business, for the customer, or for each of us as individuals. And I find that really powerful. And when I sit back and I see it actually happening in my team, I find it really um really interesting and then the other book that i'm listening to which is um quite an interesting one and i do need to listen to it a few times to really absorb the information is the chimp paradox and it talks about how um different parts of our brain operate but it explains it in a really um fun and interesting way and that book was recommended to me a few times actually and um so i finally got started on it um, and i'm quite enjoying it two at once Ah, overachiever. That's what I'm going to say, and I love it. So um, let's talk a little bit about the next subject that our audience asked us to talk about, which is presentation skills. And this is something that I've had the pleasure of seeing you in action, present at a number of different events and lead meetings, um, which you do with uh, authority. And I'm interested, you know, you know, how do you approach a presentation when you're going to be, you know, in front of an audience? So I still get nervous <laughs> and I will, I'm sure I will continue to get nervous for the rest of my life. My background, though, let, I do. Let me ask you there, do you, do you think that the nervous actually helps you? Because I find that it actually helps me. So I'm curious, you know, how do you take advantage of maybe what that nervousness brings? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what it does is it triggers off an adrenaline rush. So when I am 
in action, it's just it just then it just comes out and this whole burst of energy and vibes it triggers off um, just often will just lead into me thinking oh that my god that was amazing when I come off stage so even though it starts off with the um, nerves it definitely finishes with an excitement and achievement and a sense of oh that felt great. I agree. I, I think sometimes, especially when we're earlier in our career, we let the nerves almost destroy our confidence. And I want the audience to know that actually you can use that nervous energy in a positive way. So thank you for sharing. Yes, absolutely. And um, when it comes to presentation, and I probably also maybe book it in facilitation as well into the category, I absolutely love facilitation. I love it, <laughs> really, really love it. I just, I find it really fascinating leading a room of people and driving outcomes and insights which, um, which result in incredible outcomes. And I love the fact that bringing that, the best out in people and inclusivity and looking at things from different angles, different perspectives, identifying blind spots. It's just incredible when you create an environment for people to collaborate and come up with ideas and suggestions and I've, I've done it multiple times in my career and every time I facilitate a session I'm, I just get really excited about it. That's on the facilitation side. On the presentation side which is probably a little bit more formal usually especially at events and stuff. When I, um, I suppose early on in my career, when we talk about presentation, a lot of people want to give you advice on how to structure your presentation, you know, have your introduction and your content and make sure you summarize it and only two bullets on your PowerPoint, etc. So there's a lot of focus on the content. But as I've moved through my career and evolved, what I've learned and um, really sort of experienced that the bottom line is it really comes down to how you make your audience feel. And that is really, really important to think about when you're on that stage and the message that you're delivering, how is your audience feeling and what do you want to want them to walk away feeling? Now, you might be on stage trying to sell an idea. You might be giving them information. You might just be giving them an insight into a new perspective. It doesn't really matter, but it's the feeling that actually results in the outcome. So an excitement for a new idea or, you know, or feeling great because they've learned something new. So what I try to do is think about all the time, how does my audience feel or what will they feel when they hear this or hear what I'm saying or when they see what they see on screen. So that's what I try to focus on. It's, it's not always easy because sometimes if you've got a subject that's um, it's, it's, it's very complex um, and trying to make it exciting and consumable um, can be quite challenging. But for me, the feeling is really important. If I'm on stage stressing and maybe talking really fast, then my audience is going to get nervous as well. So it's really important that they feel good about it and they feel good about what they're seeing and hearing. And in, in audiences where you get feedback and you get smiles and you know eye contact, um, then it's usually a good sign that it's going well. It's not always possible because I do work in a very diverse um, region. Not all cultures are sort of set up for that type of environment. So you don't always get that feedback in some cultural environments. But still, I think for me, it's really important that how 
people feel when when you were up there talking on stage and how connected and engaged uh, are they in what you are actually saying so so for me that would be my um, I suppose advice is to don't get too stressed about content presentation and PowerPoints and think more about the messaging that you're trying to give across and how do you want your audience to feel when they hear that message or hear that information or hear that insight. That is great advice. <laughs> and I, I think it leads into, you know, the, the facilitation is, is, you know, key in, in facilitation is driving towards a specific outcome within that setting, you know, and the same is true for what you mentioned around presentation, driving for that outcome of the feeling that you want to leave that audience with. The third topic that our um, audience rated as important to them was negotiation skills. And obviously in a negotiation, you have to have a target in mind. You have to know where you're going. You know, you've navigated a career, a very successful career moving, as you, you know, uh, told us from, you know, being a, an entry level IT person, you know, coming out of school to chief customer office for Asia. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you've negotiated your way, if I, if I can say it that way, in, into, you know, where you are today. Yes, um, and um, there's, there's been various ups and downs in my career, so, uh, you know, it's taken several years to build confidence, um, and there's been moments where it's probably been um, diminished, um, and I've had to rebuild it. But one thing that one of my female managers told me in the past, which I, was really powerful for me, because I remember talking to her once, and I said, why do people always say to me, it's all because you've been in the right place at the right time. You know, when I've, when I've had opportunities presented to me, quite often I had people say to me, that's just because you were in the right place at the right time. And she said something really powerful to me that stuck with me and has stuck with me since. And she says to me, she goes, you're in the right place because you put yourself there. And I thought it was so powerful. And I thought, she says, everything that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis in your career, in your personal life, is contributing you to getting you to a place which has generated an opportunity that's right for you. So it's not about luck or being in the right place at the right time. You're there because you put yourself there. And for me, that was really powerful. And since then, I've always believed that. <laughs> um, and what in, in more... Um, in more recent times, I suppose, in the opportunities that came to me as a result of that, whether that was in India or in Singapore, and now um, with Blue Prism on, on, the, on a global scale, I believe those opportunities have triggered from one thing from another. So based on what I achieved previously has led on to achieving more going forward. I'm also, as you mentioned earlier, very curious, and I tend not to be very content which means that I'm constantly striving for something new and constantly striving for what next, what next. So from an opportunity perspective, I think that's what's allowed me to constantly grow and see opportunities come my way. And then being able to demonstrate my ability to execute them has led on to other opportunities. So that's probably how my career's evolved. When I joined Blue Prism, I was actually hired to look after the professional services team in India, um, and that was where we had the predominantly the presence in Asia Pacific, and it, so it was really growing out, and it was all the early days. Um, 
And I remember joining and within um, five or six months, India became APAC. So very quickly, I was leading the professional services organization in the whole region. And my task was to build it from scratch and set it up. And then last year, I took on the role of the head of customer office, which then embraced all the departments under the customer office for the whole region. So everything has been a step towards something bigger and something next and something growing forward. The other thing that I've always also, I suppose, my mindset has always been that uh, my success lies in getting to a position where the people that I'm working with in terms of my team no longer have a dependency on me. Because I always believe that um, to leave or to move a team forward into a state where they're absolutely accelerating and moving forward, and then that generates opportunities for those people and generates opportunities for me to move forward, I guess. So from a negotiation perspective, because believe me, I've definitely had um, plenty of those situations to deal with. And in the past, I've probably been very not as strong and sort of accepted what's being put on the table for me. And um, okay, okay, if that's what you think I should have or, you know, be compensated in a particular way or that's the setup I should be given. And okay, okay, I'll accept it. But in more recent years, that's definitely changed. Um, and um, I think um, for me now, it's really about when I'm in a negotiation position, and it can be for multiple reasons, but if it was for a position that's related to a role, then for me, what's really important is to lay down the facts and, and the outcomes of those facts, because then it, it takes away any ambiguity and any emotion related to, to the situation. And I'm stating out, you know, this is what you're presenting to me. However, these are the facts that I've got, whether that's related to what the industry is offering or whether it's related to what the rest of the team are being offered or whether it relates to the skills that I bring to the table. I very much focused on the factual information. And I also explain the outcome of what I'm presenting on the table. So that's how I deal probably with um, negotiation that involves very sort of specific decisions that are going to impact my setup. When it comes to um, negotiation on a daily basis, I mean, we all we are all selling ideas or selling something on it every single day. We sell whether we're selling it to our partners, our children, our friends, our colleagues. We're always in selling mode of some form or other. I can guarantee you, during your working day, you probably need at least one or two people to say yes to you more than once, based on what you're requesting from them. That's, that, that bit is really fascinating and it's really interesting. And I have been doing some reading and research on how to evolve and improve that. A lot of it comes back down to effective communication. But I think for me, when I'm trying to negotiate selling of an idea or a perspective, being very outcome focused and value focused is really important. Because then it's not just, um, I, I, I am presenting a view at the table or presenting you with an idea or an insight because I truly believe that this is the outcome that we're going to get and it's going to have a positive impact on something else. And therefore, I want you to say yes. <laughs> so um, I guess in terms of advice for people, I'm not, I'm not a perfectionist. I definitely um, need to work a lot on, on this skill set and I will continue to work. But what I find really fascinating and again, it probably comes back to just my mind being so curious, is, is to look at industries where negotiation is really important. 
and it's incredible what you learn. So I'm not talking about sales, because sales is everywhere, and I know that that's important, and I do and I have read about consultative selling and the importance of that. But what for me recently that's been fascinating me is reading up about um, FBI negotiation, hostage negotiation. I'm thinking, my God, how can, I mean, where you've got something so critical and serious on the line, surely the skill set that those individuals apply in those scenarios are just incredible. Or the other thing is um, armed forces or special forces the decisions that they have to make and the negotiations that they're making. It's really fascinating and I'm always thinking about how do I or how can I apply that in the context of my role and the sort of things that I deal with on a daily basis. I think this probably also stems from the fact that I'm um, constantly disrupting my thinking because I always think there's, some, there's a better way to do what I do. Even if I thought it was a great idea yesterday, today I probably think there's probably something else out there that could be done could be done so, it, so it's actually better and they get a better outcome. And I think that's probably where it really stems from. And then we circle all the way back around to where we started, which is step out, don't be shy, and question what's going on around you. Excellent, excellent having this conversation with you today, Bindi. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. Yeah, I've absolutely loved it. I've loved it. Um, and is there been, any last, you know, is there any last minute inspiration or advice uh, you'd like to give the audience? I think for, for me, just, just go for it. Just follow, follow your passions and um, just take on the challenge, take on the opportunities that come your way. They're not going to be easy. Everything's going to have hurdles. You're going to face challenges. You're probably going to think, oh, my God, why am I here? But the outcome at the end of it is always going to be positive. And I think the key thing to remember is that you're probably going to touch many people's lives in many different ways, and you're going to inspire them in many different ways without even realizing. So that would, that would be what I would say. And many people have done that to me, so I'm talking from experience. And I'm so glad those people that have inspired me did what they did and embarked on the opportunities that, that were presented to them, because if they hadn't done that, then I probably wouldn't have been inspired to take on the stuff that's come my way. Great advice uh, to leave us with. Although we're, we're not quite done yet because um, we're to the point of the show now where I like to ask my Zena Zinger. This is my fun question uh, that I like to uh, end all of my podcast with. So earlier you shared that you have a love of photography and that you had uh, pondered a career uh, going in that direction at one point. So tell me, had you followed that pursuit, what type of photographer would you be? It probably would be a combination of um, landscape, um, so in terms of geographical landscape, but also portraits. Um, I love capturing people, and I think if I go through a lot of my collection, you will see that there's a lot of human emotion, human expression, which I love capturing, because I, I think it just tells such a story, which I find fascinating. So that those are probably the two areas that I um, would have embarked into if, if I had taken this on seriously. Right on. Right on. Well, thank you again, Bindi, for joining us. And that will do it for this week's episode of Generation Digital Workforce, focusing on women in RPA. I hope you've enjoyed your time with us this week and look forward to having you back next. 
You've been listening to Generation Digital Workforce. If you want to hear more about RPA, AI, and other cognitive technologies that are shaping the future of work, join us next time as we continue to go deeper on these topics with industry innovators and experts. To make sure you never miss a future episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you've liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. It's one of the best ways to help more people find valuable content. For show notes and more info, visit us at blueprism.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Music.